Father in heaven, it's been a great week as we have been able to study the Word of God, be reminded of the spirit of prophecy and the tremendous blessing that the spirit of prophecy is to us. In this class and in all the seminars that we've been able to participate in, we've been blessed by your Holy Spirit working. And Lord, uh, once again, this is our last uh, class in this sequence together. I pray that you will bless our time. May your Holy Spirit once again guide what we do, what I say, and what we hear. And most importantly, maybe we be students of the Word and students of the Spirit of Prophecy. And most importantly, students of our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit speaking to us and teaching us and preparing our hearts for the return of Jesus. Guide our class today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really scary when everything works. We have been talking all week about various elements of end-time events and how those end-time events remind us of the times in which we are living. Jesus made the statement and used an illustration to help us to understand it and he talked about the fact that there's a tree and when it gets fruit on it, human beings are able to understand when the, what the season is. And he was using that as an illustration of the season that you and I are living in and saying if you are able to understand when fruit is ripe, more importantly, you need to know when the harvest is ripe for the return of Jesus. He's especially speaking to you and to me today because we are living in the time of the end. We're living in the time that is past the, uh, the investigative judgment and reaching into this point. We are somewhere in here. I can't tell you how close all I can do is share with you what you know or what you can observe and what we've reminded each other of. And that is that things are happening now and they're happening rapidly and they're almost happening daily. And we must not allow ourselves to bog down on all those events except to do what Jesus said. Watch what's happening so that you know what is about to happen. But most importantly, you and I should be preparing for the final crisis because we never know when our part of the final crisis is done. It may be when the church faces that final crisis together. It may be when we as individuals face that crisis. Sometimes you get a thought in your mind and you want to say something and then all of a sudden it brings about a sense of emotion. Last year I almost lost my wife. This close to losing my wife in death. And after talking to the doctors and things that all seem to be routine and you pray that they're always routine. And then they tell you that they almost lost her. It reminds us that life is short. We have no guarantees. I'm grateful that God intervened and spared my wife's life. But you and I don't know when our time will end, when the ceiling for us concludes. You and I today need to be preparing for the return of Jesus. He's coming again and coming again very soon. Jesus cares about us. He's going to be with us through this all the way. We heard a story a couple days ago. I don't know if it's gotten around at all, and I don't want to spoil anybody's story, but it fits here. One of our MAGA bookers was out working this past week and knocking on doors. And knocking on those doors, they were sharing the wonderful truths that God has given us 
And there was an, a man that they met, that, that, uh, that this individual met. They met, yeah, the, the individual met. And uh, it was a warm day, and the man said, you know, wait a minute, let me get you some water. So went into the house, came back, and he had two glasses of water. And he said, this is for you and for your friend. There was only one person standing at the door. Who was the other one? The angels care about us. They're real. It's true. This is the day and age in which we live. There are lots of skeptics out there that don't believe God exists, but He does, and it's happening again and again. Some of you have had similar kinds of experiences. God wants us to know. He lets those things happen because He wants us to know He will not abandon us. He will not leave us alone. And even though we're coming to a time that we're going to be talking about today that obviously is challenging, the time of trouble, a lot of people get so fearful about it. Ellen White herself was so afraid of the judgment early on in her, in her experience as a young Methodist. And, and she, one day, she got uh, Brother Stockman and, and her parents said, you need to talk to Brother Stockman. And, and he sat down and he, he talked to her and she was so f distraught. And he said to her, you need to know that Jesus loves you. And she was repeated to her again and again. That was earlier, early in her childhood experience as a young, as a young teenager, before things started to happen in her life, where God started to use her in a mighty way. She saw a lot of things after that time. Some of them really encouraged her, and some things that I'll share with you a little along the way distressed her. But she know, knew that Jesus loved her, and Jesus loved his people. Well, he loves his people yet still today. He's coming back for us. Isn't that good news? Yeah. And that's what we're talking about here today. But we've been talking about the um, latter rain and the Laodicea message. We've talked about the sealing and the process. We've talked about the shaking. We've talked about the fact that this is all coming to a conclusion today. We want to lead up to those fi final events that will bring about the end of the sinful world. I think we're all ready for that, right? Ready for the end of the sinful world. Anybody ready for the end of the sinful world? But before that comes, there are some things in front of us. The Bible talks about the time of trouble. Ellen White identifies two times of trouble. The first one is sometimes called the early time of trouble. It's the one that is prior to the close of probation. I know we, uh, is there any way to draw that blonde? Well, we're trying to get some breeze in here, so let's not do that. I think you can see it. Can you see it? I mean, somewhat? Yeah, it's in your notes, by the way, so <laughs> you can follow along. But the early time of trouble that ends at the close of probation includes earthquakes, wars, pestilences, increasing immorality, preaching the gospel and the Holy Spirit poured out and the Sabbath proclaimed more fully. Happening, 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 really happening. Needs to happen more. The Holy Spirit being poured out and the Sabbath proclaimed more fully needs to really happen. These things are real before us. They are evidences that we are in this process. And let me, let me, you know, I don't want to try to get in a line, okay, have we crossed over into the early time of trouble? What really matters is that this is going to be a simple process that can move rapidly, as Ellen White said, and these things are part of it. That's where we are. That's what's happening with us. I saw your hand. Let me come back to you in just a moment. The time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, is what comes after that, but that, we want to understand, comes after the close of probation. And there's two elements in that we want to keep in mind. Okay, quick question. Sometimes they refer to as the, um, what about the breakdown? Troubles, so which one do we 
So the early time of trouble would be the one that was on the screen a moment, and the little time of trouble would be that as well. The great time of trouble is what I'm talking about now, and the great time of trouble would also be Jacob's trouble, sometimes referred to. And that's because of the Bible story that Ellen White picks up on, and I'll talk about it more directly. Please? I have a question. Mm -hmm. I would like to purchase one of those charts. Uh-huh. No. No, that was the address that I gave out earlier. Oh, I should say the name is the is Ceiling Time Ministries. Okay, some sometimes people miss that. Ceiling Time Ministries, and that's where you could get that. If you need more information, come see me. I even have the address here. You can Google it as well. So the time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, that great time of trouble, that event, that time after the close of probation is the time that has some of these ingredients in it. It begins with a decree of Revelation 22, 11, and 12. We talked about that yesterday. More, it's the time when probation closes. Let him who is righteous be righteous still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. That's when this time is a, it, it takes place. We'll look at it a little bit more here in just a moment. Um, also, four angels that are holding back the winds of strife. This is a time when they begin to unleash those winds of strife. And strife has already been coming. I mean, look at the world today. You and I in the United States, let's face it, we're blessed. There are many places in the world that are suffering tremendously because of man's inhumanity to man, because of the wars and the struggles and, the, and, the, and all the issues that are going on. But it's getting worse here. Anger is increasing. Just look at the politics. I mean, it's just awful. And people are ready to kill each other and fight each other over the president, whoever that might happen to be, and things they believe. And on and on and on it goes. And there's, at this time, in time of Jacob's trouble, there's general confusion and destruction. You, you already sense now that the Spirit of God is being withdrawn that becomes a really great reality during this time because there's no intercessor and no shelter for the impenitent anymore. I didn't say for God's people, but this is the time when probation is closed and there's no opportunity for a sinner to be uh, accepted and to repent. This is just similar to the experience of Satan when Satan finally in heaven crossed the line and God said, that's it. I've given you a chance. I've given you a chance to repent. I've given you a chance to turn around. But you've crossed over the line. And that's when um, everything broke loose in heaven and the war in heaven that Revelation 12 talks about took place. And that's what's coming before us when people cross that line. The time has, has come where there's no intercessor because Jesus, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, he stands and he leaves the sanctuary. God's Spirit is completely withdrawn. In other words, the, the Spirit of God is no longer here for the purpose of saving souls. And if the, the Spirit of God is the one who's been drawing people, right? He's been drawing you. He's been drawing me. The reason that you accepted Jesus as your Savior is because the Spirit of God drew you to Him. But when the Spirit of God is no longer here, there's no drawing anymore. So the sinners are free to do as they like to without being drawn to the cross. It's done. It's over. And Satan now has control over what goes on. Satan plunges the world into the worst trouble this world has ever seen. But Jesus has not abandoned his people. Right? Don't ever forget it. By faith, we're trusting in God. He still cares about us. He's taking care of us. We'll never be able to live without Jesus. Never. Even after the close of probation, we need Jesus, right? Even after Jesus comes back, we still need Jesus. But we're going to be able to spend eternity with him. Praise the Lord for that. And the elements in this world let loose. Second Peter. Don't forget, last lesson is this time. This, this, this week is the last lesson in Peter. I hope that you've studied it. If you haven't, go back and read it again. 
both First Peter and Second Peter reminds us of these elements are going to burn with fervent heat. And what does he say in all of that? He says, because the world's going to be like this, what kind of people should we be? And that's really what this class has been about. It's not just about these events, but it is what kind of people are we to be now? Occurring during this, uh, this occurs during the time of the plagues, coming to that in a few moments, and after the passage of the death decree. In other words, up until this time, in that early time of trouble, the world is not yet aware of the, of the issues that are really at the heart of the great controversy. It doesn't mean anything to them. They're, they're involved in their religion. The Muslims are involved in theirs, and the Hindus are involved in theirs, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's involved in their own experience, their own whatever. But when we come to this time, the world's attention has been drawn to what's going on because the world is disintegrating. It's falling apart. There's no more discussion about global warming or, or what do they call it today? Climate change. There's no discussion about that. It really doesn't matter anymore because the world is disintegrating. It's falling apart. By the way, you know there was another tsunami this, this week, right? No. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, it was a... You all must be a camp meeting turning off your news. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Um, I think this one was in Greenland, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I didn't take time to read it. I just saw it there, and, and some of the stuff shows up on the Weather Channel, and I've been watching the Weather Channel, and it, it, the, the tsunami came in, must have been an earthquake or something, I don't know what it was, and it swept homes away and swept some people away and, and all of that. It just keeps happening every day. You almost don't even notice it anymore. It's ongoing. The world is disintegrating. This world is coming again. I'm sorry? Yes, I heard that as well. Um, I didn't know about that, but my wife told me about it, and uh, she'd picked up on that. I, yeah, it's just ongoing, all right? So these things are all leading up to the time when the world is developing a focus on the issues as they are. At the moment, it's not a big issue, but you understand that the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope has made it abundantly clear that the, that Sunday is part of his goal and it's mixed up several ways within his document on climate change that he came, he shared with the uh, UN and others. It's there. It's his solution to the problem. If everybody takes a day off, we will give one seventh of the time to letting the wor or world rest. Hey, I think he has a great idea. I think it, you know what? Too bad God didn't think of it, huh? <laughs> God thought about it. He had it there. He had the right day. It's always been there. But now the Pope is going to take credit for it. He's the one who set Sunday up, and he's going to make that the big deal. And this is going to slide into the time when, you know what? Things are getting bad enough. Let's, we better, you know, I'm not telling you how it's all going to come, but I can tell you that those pieces are showing themselves, and it's likely to be there. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I just know what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to let the Lord take care of the details. I'm going to let him work through those issues and take care of them and how it all comes together. But I know that these things will lead up to the fact that the, there's going to be a Sunday law. And I know that, according to Revelation 13, the, uh, the beast, the Roman Catholic Church, will work in cooperation, or I should say the other way around, and the image to the beast and the, the beast that is uh, representing the United States in Revelation 13 will cooperate with the Roman Catholic Church, and together they will begin to take this to the world. And the world will realize that they've got to listen. The United States is still a world power, in spite of what Russia might think and others, and all of these things are coming together when now the world understands the Sabbath is a central issue. When we cross into the time of pro over, uh, probation, we enter the time of Jacob's trouble, we have this whole uh, scenario developing. Now the world begins to understand that Sabbath really is an issue, and there's a problem because there's a group of people that are 
that are responsible for all of God's judgments that are coming on this world. And because of them, we've got to deal with it. And so there's a Sunday law and they're not obeying it. Therefore, we need a death decree to deal with it. That's on the other side of the close of probation. That's what's happening, okay? Yeah, and we remember that two years ago, I can't, while we were at camp meeting, the Pope's encyclical had very, right in the center of it, that the Eucharist and Sunday worship <laughs> is the solution to climate change. Absolutely. Since then, it's been painted as a moral issue. Mm -hmm. Climate change is a moral issue. And I hear it more and more. I watch the weather change. It's really interesting. That, you know, a moral issue, which is interesting because a few years ago, is it on this? Yeah, right here. 1961, the U.S. Supreme Court officially declared that the state, um, that the state's Sunday laws are not religious laws and that they are constitutional. Okay, so that was back in 1961, because if you, can, if you can make a Sunday law because it's not a religious issue, great. Now, you build on that, and pretty soon you find another issue, that this is becoming a moral issue because people are starving to death because of climate uh, change, people are suffering because of climate change, they're dying, they're whatever, so now it's a moral issue, and pretty soon that law, well, you know, it's, it's not that, it's just that if we don't do it, this world's going to disintegrate, and pretty soon that's where we are. Folks, we're right on the edge. We're right on the edge. I, you know about climate change 10 years ago? You might have heard about it, but you never heard about it coming out of the mouth of the Pope and tying it to Sunday and all the things that are happening. These are recent developments, and the and he's taken it to the paper. I mean, to the UN and everything. I mean, oh, okay, I'm <laughs> slow down, Royce. This is also the time of physical and mental anguish for the people of God. It's a reality. It's not going to be an easy time. Ellen White says. As you all know, you've heard their statement that she knows that bad things are usually worse in their expectation than they are in reality. She said it's not true in this case. It's worse than our expectation might be. Does my heart then fill with fear? No, because Jesus says that he will never allow anything to happen to us that we are not able to bear. 1 Corinthians 10, is that where it is? Where is it? 10, 13, that's it, 10, I got the right chapter. Um, great anxiety, GC chapter, I'm, uh, on, the, on this subject, pages 619 and 620. I've given you a handout, don't try to go find it right now, but it has this whole section on it. So if you don't have a, you know, be able to look it up and all, this whole section in Great Controversy is in the handout that I gave you today. It includes this great anxiety regarding the repentance of sin, the severely tempted, uh, the God's people are severely tempted by Satan, and there are no condemning sins revealed as they are all blotted out. Um, and you can read through it, you'll find it. You try to dig in it now, you'll get lost. Uh, let me keep going here because I want to come back and talk to this. The time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, includes uh, the fact that there are those who have not made a habit to trust God. And this is the time when they begin to realize that they've got, they've got to learn to trust God or they've already crossed over and it's too late to learn to trust God. Um, can they, the people are concerned by earthliness and reflect Christ's image those who are consumed with earthliness will not be able to reflect Christ's image perfectly. I'm going to look at some of those statements before we get done. Ellen White warns us there's no use in storing up food or provisions. It's, no, it's not worth it. You know, there's a whole group of people, not in the Adventist church, in another denomination, and that group of people um, pride themselves on having uh, guns and, and uh, food and all of that all stored away. It's the Mormons, okay? And that's where that all comes in. And uh, they, I mean, I'm not saying everybody does, but they, they are protecting themselves, they're preparing for it, and they take care of that. Ellen White says, don't bother. Don't bother. Because what happens when the world goes crazy and you've got food and nobody else does? Suddenly you become a target, am I right? 
So you might as well just learn to trust Jesus. And he says he'll provide it and he'll take care of you. That's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, let me, let me, let me. I thank you. I really appreciate you bringing that up. I'm cutting you off. I'm sorry. But you're right. And here's how the preparation that we do. First of all, we don't stay in the big cities. We move to the small cities until it's time to move beyond that. And we know that comes when it comes to the, the Sunday law, the national Sunday law. When that comes, that is our call to get out. Because now it's all going to break loose at this point, all right? It, there's nothing wrong with learning how to live off the land. There's nothing wrong with any of that. No problem with doing that. Um, it's not a sin to learn how to do that. She's just telling us we're going to have to learn to trust the Lord. And we're going to have to deal with that. And in the early time of trouble, there's going to be strife. That's why we move out of the cities. And that's why we move to small cities. And that's why we move out of the small cities, out into the wilderness. Why? Because there's no sense in us being in the world anymore. It's time for us to realize that God is going to protect us. And He, there's no sense in us being here anymore. We can't save people anymore. There's nothing we can do anymore. And God is going to take care of us. This is, this is okay, I've got to keep going. So that, that's right. I'm not going to deny any of that. Look, I, I need to be prepared. You should be prepared. What if a tornado strikes your town? The power is knocked out for three days. No water because the water system has been polluted. The U.S. government tells all of us that you should have three days worth of whatever you need in your home, right? Okay, I need to put my disaster response hat back on. You need to be prepared in case something happens. If you live in part of the world where they have hurricanes, and you know what, we can get them here. Hurricanes winds over 70 miles an hour. That happens here, you know. But at any rate, when those things happen, those kinds of things happen, you and I should be prepared. We're talking here about stocking this up, thinking we're going to have this all prepared, hide it off someplace where we're going to go to, and that, uh, you know, we don't have to depend on the Lord during that time because we're smart enough, we've got it all stored. You know what? The Lord will destroy it, and Ellen White says that's what will happen. He will take it away from us because we need to learn to depend on Jesus. Well, very quickly, there is an element of, like you said, of preparedness mm-hmm. where, um, as I grew up in the country, it was always the annual cycle. Mm-hmm. The growing season, you store it, you prepare for the year, and then you have it Exactly. And so we're not looking to store it for years. That's right. But being prepared, you know, and when something happens, then we have something to give to someone else to help them too. And that's true. Sharing is a good thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's very good. We, this is a, there's a normal cycle, especially if you're a farmer and you are a subsistence farmer, for example, you know that like in, in days past, you had to store stuff up from one harvest to the next so that you had seed to plant for the next time and food to get you through until the next harvest and all of that. Okay. I want to talk about the plagues right now. And so I'm going to go to that. First of all, there's a description of the plagues in Revelation chapter 16. And uh, would you take your Bibles and turn to that with me for a moment? Just because you're nice people, you're going to do it, right? I don't have time to really delineate the plagues. Elder Gallimore last year did a seminar on the plagues. Any of you attend that? Elder Gallimore's seminar on the plagues. He, his, uh, his seminar on the plague is, plague, uh, not the plagues, on the trumpets. I'm sorry. How many of you attended his on the trumpets? Um, his seminar on the trumpets is outstanding. I've listened to it a couple of times while I'm driving along, and I really appreciate his perspective. Folks, there's a lot of confusion about the trumpets today, but what Seventh-day Adventists have believed is still true is a real danger of us wandering and getting off on different tangents in this area. And uh, But anyway, going to Revelation chapter 16 
and here we're looking about the plagues and uh, the trumpets is uh, integrated into this because these the churches the plagues the trumpets uh, the seals all kind of cross over in the history of the church and and so on but in chapter 16 looking at verse 12 it says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole earth world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. By the way, that passage in there is, a, is an important one when you're talking to somebody about the rapture. They get all caught up in the rapture, and they said, how come it's, how come it's after the rapture and Jesus is still talking about coming as a thief? The, this is the, what we're referring to here when we're talking about uh, the description of the plagues and the kinds of things that are going on Revelation chapter 16 and especially the sixth and the seventh plague and how they interrelate to each other. I don't have time to get into it, but look at verse 12. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Do you remember the river Euphrates back in prophecy and history, how it played into the church? Do you remember that story of Daniel? And when the Medes and Persians came to Babylon, this is imagery that comes back out of that, if you are not familiar with that. And the great, and its water was dried up. What was dried up? The water of the river going into Babylon, correct? Well, that imagery is being brought back again, and it's set in this, in the context of Babylon, the Babylon that Revelation speaks of, which is a combination of the, the Roman Catholicism and the Protestants and, and all of that, made up of what's in verse 13. But then it says, and so the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Kings of the east. You know that the Bible tells us Jesus is coming from the east. We're preparing for the return of Jesus. The king of kings is coming back. Oh, more. Can't, don't have time to get into all that. So it's similar to the plagues of Egypt, only worse. We know that the time is after the close of probation. We know that it's not universal because if it were, that would be the destruction of the world. But the Lord is not yet ready for that final work to be done because part of this work is the final purifying of God's people. We are sealed, we are centered, but the Lord is finalizing everything. This is that time when the righteous that are going to be righteous still and the wicked that are going to be wicked still, there is a clear delineation of this process. I can't tell you how long it's going to be. Um, the author of the book that we've been using here, Fernando Chai, and the one who wrote some uh, outlines that, uh, that we've been working off of as well, uh, says, oh, is it going to be a year? I don't know. That's because in Revelation chapter 18, verse 8, what does it say? Um, Anyway, we don't know how long it's going to be. My mind's blank right at the moment. Yeah, one day, and that's, so that's where we get a day's a year. That's what I wanted to say, so thank you very much. I always want to be sure that's where it was. Protection of the sealed is Psalm 91. You all know Psalm 91. I've referred to it several times. Memorize Psalm 91. The angels have promised to protect us from plagues, from pestilences, from anything that comes along. This is a time when the angels are especially real, but they're real now. They're with us. They're taking care of us. There's no reason for harm to come to us in the sense of us dying, but that doesn't mean it won't be stressful, that there won't be pain, and that it won't be a difficult time. Um, this is a time for the, where the hunger of the Word becomes Oh, that we had known the message. Why didn't you tell us about this? They go to their, their ministers and they say, you knew about this? You knew the seventh day was the Sabbath? People want the word of God, but it's too late. Time has passed. 
We come into the time of the sixth and seventh plagues that I was just referring to. And this is the time when these three great powers, spiritism, the papacy, and Protestantism, they now are so united, they're all concentrating on one thing. Doing away with the people of God that are fighting against them. And they're standing on one side. Now there are only two sides, Satan's and God's, and the wicked are in utter, utter despair. Great Controversy, page 64, Ellen White talks about the level of their despair and how awful that despair is. In another place, in some of the materials that I've given you there, um, the, uh, the statement Ellen White makes is she saw some of these things happening. And as she saw these things happening, she said, Oh Lord, I can't stand this. I can't, I can't bear what, what I'm seeing here. And then she says, why would anybody not want to believe the Seventh-day Sabbath and be able to avoid these horrible things that are coming? Why would people not stand on the side of God? She's, she's looking at this and seeing that. What a, what a time. Would you take these notes that I've given to you, please? Before I go on any farther, I want to make a little bit of a mention in relationship to the issue of the plagues. Folks, there are a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts that are out there today, and, and uh, uh, I'm not trying to talk about any, uh, about all the variations that are out there, but I want to share a couple of things with you that I think it's well for you to be aware of and to know. And so I'm going to read a couple of these statements, and then you need to recognize and work through these conclusions. Ellen White, uh, in a section uh, that's found in Last Day Events, that's what LDE stands for, uh, the, Ellen, the Ellen White book compilation on Last Day Events, and it comes out of the Review and Herald, March 10, 9, 1904, and is repeated there in LDE. She says this, It is the glory of God to be merciful, full of forbearance, kindness, goodness, and truth. But the justice shown in punishing the sinner is as variably the glory of God as is the manifestation of His mercy. It's really easy for us to get confused on this issue. God is still in control. But there comes a time in which, just as God casts Satan out of heaven... He is going to bring, He is going to bring judgment on this earth. It's not going to be an automatic thing. It's going to be because of the decisions that people have made, that you and I have made, that we are experiencing in this situation. But it is because this is it. It's all done. It's all over. A little farther down, she says, in all the Bible, God is presented not only as a being of mercy and benevolence, but as a God of strict and impartial justice. The next statement says, God's love is represented in our day as being of such a character as would forbid his destroying the sinner. Men reason from their own low standard of right and justice. Though thou, though, though thoughtest that I, thou, Get it right here. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. They measure God by themselves. They reason as to how they would act under the circumstances and decide that God would do as they imagine that uh, imagine they would do. But they forget what is what Ellen White is saying here that God will destroy the sinner. It's not just God. I'm just the sinner destroying themselves. God will destroy the sinner. God is the one who brings the plagues on this land. God is bringing the judgments that He said He would bring on this land. Go down a little farther. There's some underlying statements there. At the General Conference of Believers in the Present Truth, held at Sutton, September 1850, I was shown that the seven last plagues will be poured out after Jesus leaves the sanctuary. Said the angel, it is the wrath of God and the Lamb that causes the destruction or the death of the wicked. God is in control of this. Going on to the next page, says the bolts of God's wrath are soon to fall. Underlined section here. These uh, highlights, by the way, are my own. 
And if you look real closely, you can tell it's also highlighted because it's black and white, the yellow didn't come through. But the gall bolts of God's wrath are soon to fall, and when he shall begin to punish the transgressors, there will be no period of respite until the end. The storm of God's wrath is gathering, and those only will stand who are sanctified through the truth and the love of God. They shall be hid with Christ in God till the desolation shall be overpassed. He shall come forth to punish the inhabitants of the world for their iniquity, and the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. One last one that I want to mention is down the middle of that page where underlined it says, to our merciful God, the act of punishment is a strange act. But nonetheless, it's God's act. God's involved in this process. He is the one who is involved in this. The plagues are coming because the world has turned its back on God and God is taking the world back. Satan is trying to gain control and God says now it's over. Sin has crossed the line when you decided to rise up against my Sabbath and make it a, uh, not only a national law, but a universal law, when you rose up and the beast has risen up and says that I'm the one who's in control and, and really pretends to be God, not is God, but continues to pretend to be God and does all of that, God says thus far and no farther you've reached the point. There's some uh, other important events that we want to talk about um, here. A great voice from heaven proclaims it is done. There's lightnings and voices and thunders. There's a gigantic earthquake, the greatest in history. We've been seeing enough of those already, as I said on Monday. There have been 9.0s in the last 50 years, and you just hardly ever have seen them at all. And they can, that kind of thing continues. The great city, spiritual Babylon, uh, Rome is divided into three parts. It comes in remembrance from God, the other cities of the nations fall, the islands flee and the mountains disappear. Hail falls from heaven, each hailstone the weight of a talent. This is that time. On this chart, it's talking about here, after the close of probation and before the second coming of Christ. These are the events that are taking place. This is the time of a national Sunday law becoming a universal Sunday law, and all of these begin to happen, the seven last plagues, the death decree, uh, the wicked have to flee. Wicked die, but the people of God don't die anymore. Hallelujah. The Lord is still in control during that time. Quick question. Okay, this is coming from, um, okay, let me, this comes from, Revelation, what, what chapter is it? I'm looking right at it, and it's not jumping out at me. Uh, that, not, that's not the three parts. Where's the part where... 19, that's it. Thank you. Verse 19, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine and fierceness of her, her wrath. In other words, that was chapter 16, Revelation 16, verse 19. In other words, it's part of the seven the seventh plague, the seven last plagues, and it's part of that. And uh, we don't have time to go into those details, but that's what's happening. So that's the connection. Thank you for asking, because that can get confusing to people. Sure. Um, and so this continues on, and now this leads into the time of the liberation of God's people. These things are all coming to a final conclusion. We're going through this most difficult time, and uh, I haven't talked about the time of Jacob's trouble. We'll come back to that in a moment. But when defiance becomes universal and the wicked seem about to destroy the saints, and it's at midnight that God's people are delivered. The liberation time includes the mighty manifestation of God's 
uh, of God's power. The weapons of God's against God's people are useless. Uh, they might try to kill us, but no, it doesn't happen because there's no sense in it. No martyrs anymore because nobody will be saved by the blood of the martyrs. Martyrs will die up until the close of probation in that early time of trouble. The reason is because there's still time for people to make a decision. And if you and I are called upon to die that someone else might be able to live, that is the Spirit of Christ. That's His living and saying, I'm going to let you rest. I'm coming. I'm going to, I'm going to take you home. But if you, by you dying and someone else seeing that, and if they are in the kingdom of heaven because of it, it will be worth it for you. Streams cease to flow, the mountains shake, the sea boils, the cities fall. God's voice announces the coming of Jesus. No, no believers will die. Okay, no, no, no people that have received the seal of God will die after the close of probation during the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, I gave you some statements here, and if you take a look at the miscellaneous statements, take them out, and by the way, it's, it's all part of that same, same thing. <laughs> if that confused you, I don't blame you. It's, I stapled them all together, and after the plagues one, after that, go a few pages in, and you'll see it says miscellaneous statements like this. All right, so it's all on the same thing. You know, why are people looking confused? Because I confused you. <laughs> That's why. Not, not, not hard to do and not hard for me to be confused as well. On the first uh, section of there, I just want to read that. We read it earlier in the week. I want to come back to it again and uh, be reminded of what's there. It says, the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit is the defense of every contrite soul. You with me? Not one that in penitence and faith is claimed as protection will Christ permit to pass under the enemy's power. A savior is by the side of his tempted and tried ones. With him there can be no such thing as failure, loss, impossibility, or defeat. We can do all things through him who strengthens us when temptations and trials come. Do not wait to adjust all the difficulties, but look to Jesus, your helper. So God is speaking to us now, right? He's talking to us and saying, this is the time to learn to trust me. I'm not going to leave you alone now, during the early time of trouble, or during the great time of trouble, Jacob's time of trouble. I'm going to be there for you. There are Christians who speak, continuing on there, all think and speak altogether too much about the power of Satan. They think of their adversary, they pray about him, they talk about him, and he looms up greater and greater in their imagination. It is true that Satan is a powerful beating, being, but thank God we have a mighty Savior who cast out the evil one from heaven. Amen. Satan is pleased when we magnify his power. Why not talk about Jesus? Why not magnify his power and his love? Jesus wants us to learn to trust him. To a couple pages past that, a couple pages past that, where it's underlined is where I'm going to. Paragraph begins, such will be the experience of God's people. Everybody with me? Such will be... Did we get everybody? Okay. Such will be the experience of God's people in their final struggle with the powers of evil. God will test their faith, their perseverance, their confidence in His power to deliver them. Satan will endeavor to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that their sins have been too great to receive pardon. They will have a deep sense of their shortcomings, and as they review their lives, their hopes will sink. But remembering the greatness of God's mercy and their own sincere repentance, they will plead His promises made through Christ to helpless, repenting sinners. Their faith will not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. They will lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob lay hold, laid hold of the angel, and the language of their souls will be, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. 
Notice the context of this passage is Patriarchs and Prophets, page 202. The context of the chapter is the chapter about Jacob who's making his way back to his brother. And he's confronted with the fact that Esau is on his way and he's got an army of 400 with him and Jacob knows this could be it. And he's out there and he's praying and he's surrendering to God and he's given everything to God. And the angel comes to him the angel of the Lord comes to him, and he they wrestle all night long. The next paragraph says, Had not Jacob previously repented of his sin in obtaining the birthright by fraud, God could not have heard his prayer and mercifully preserved his life. So in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them, while tortured with fear and anguish, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would, cut, despair would cut off their faith, and they would not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, they will have no concealed wrongs to reveal. Their sins will have been blotted out by the atoning blood of Christ, and they cannot bring them to remembrance. That's why this class is preparation for the final crisis. Because the preparation time is now. The preparation time is now. The sealing time is now. We may be in entering into the intense time of the shaking of the church. These things are all here. We have conflicts within the church. We have differences of opinion. But sometimes those differences of opinion are stretching us and separating us and dividing us. God wants to unite us together, and He wants us to be warned of the dangers that are out there. I've cautiously spoken to you about things throughout this week. Some of you have known what I'm talking about when it talks about some of the things going on in the church. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay, because this really isn't trying to polarize us. It's trying to bring us in. But we need to recognize that just because somebody claims the name of Jesus and claims that they are a Seventh-day Adventist on the church books and may even be under some level of responsibility of leadership in the church, the only way you know whether what they're talking about is truth, and that includes me, is by knowing your Bible. The only way you can be prepared for what's coming is not assume that because somebody's teaching it and it comes from this division or that division or wherever, but that it comes from God or it doesn't. We do have issues of the emerging church making its way into the, into the church. There's no question in my mind and few really question that. But I know some do. Some think that we're a little paranoid about it. Whole conferences have gone after the emerging church movement and have accepted it. It's a fact, just a fact. And brought people in who are teaching what they believe in relationship to this, but they're non-Seventh-day Adventists, and when you pursue them, I question whether they're really Christian. They claim to be Christian, but they're mixing together with their theology the ways of Satan, and they're mixing together with it mysticism and all those mysteries that go with it and that have come out of the Roman Catholic Church, and all these things are blended together. And what I had up on the screen a little while ago of, the, of spiritism combining with um, the... Uh, Spiritism and paganism, combining with the Roman Catholic Church and combining with Protestantism, all these things are getting blended together in, uh, in these areas. And they look good and they look nice. And people say, but this is Jesus. And this is how Jesus wants us to be. And it's, you know, it's, that's all we need is we just need Jesus. And that's happening in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What happened to what Ellen White taught us? about what's coming upon this church. Is there a revival trying to spread its way into our church that is not based upon truth, but based upon Satan's ways? You have to make that decision in your own life, but you need to be asking those questions all along the way. I don't care where it happens. I don't care what happens. You and Jesus need to be in your word 
and the spirit of prophecy and asking who is in charge of what's going on, Satan or God? Is this coming from God or is it coming from Satan? The next page, top of the page, this is coming from Great Controversy, page 614. When he leaves the sanctuary, darkness covers the inhabitants of the earth. In that fearful time, the righteous must live in the sight of a holy God without an intercessor. I've really not spent a lot of, lot of time talking about this, but I hope it's becoming crystal clear. I had a question asked a couple of days ago, so I want to summarize it today. Some of you are coming in for the first time, and I want to make sure it's clear as we're wrapping this up. Jesus is preparing us for his return. There comes a time when we're crossing over from this period of time and crossing over after the close of probation. We will still be alive during that time. We will not have an intercessor in heaven during that time. That means we must not sin during that time. And that means the only way that can happen in our lives is for Jesus to have full control of our lives and for us to be fully surrendered to him. I will not ever reach a point, this side of heaven, where I can trust on me and don't need Jesus. I will need Jesus. I will need the Holy Spirit in my life. I will need the angels guarding me and leading me and protecting me. But I will have been sealed before the close of probation. I will have made the decision that there's nothing that I'm going to allow into my life. And the Lord says, you have surrendered to me. You are now ready to save. But I'll never be able to say, I don't need Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to take you through all during that time. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. Jesus has finally been able to prepare a people ready to stand against the enemy and be translated to heaven. Praise the Lord for that good news. Middle of the page there, a little further down. And if any come short, at last they have heard the truth. As they have, have in this land of light, it will be their own fault. They will be without excuse. The Word of God tells us how we may be perfect Christians and escape the seven last plagues, but they took no interest to find this out. This is where Ellen White's talking about those who come to that point. They may have grown up especially as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. They may have become Seventh-day Adventist Christians, received the knowledge of the truth, but still not allowed God to work in their lives. And as a consequence of that, they're not ready to stand. Next page. Next page, it says, Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or at any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless. That's why the title of this class is Preparation for the Final Crisis. A preparation for the coming crisis, the one that is just before us. It matters not to you and me exactly when that happens. Our faith is not built on seeing these events take place. It will help us to understand that what God said would happen is happening. And Jesus did say that it would help to strengthen our faith. When we see these things happen that he said would happen, but the preparation that we need is a heart preparation, a head preparation of total and full, complete surrender to Jesus. Next paragraph. Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we just seek to become perfect in Christ. Not perfect in us, but totally surrendered to Jesus. Further down there, it said he had kept his father's commandments, speaking of Jesus, and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. I'm not trying to get into perfectionism. I'm not trying to get into uh, whatever those kinds. There are all kinds of labels that are used out there. All I'm saying is that clearly when the close of probation comes, we are totally dependent on Jesus period. It is in this life, next paragraph, we are to separate sin from us through faith in the atoning blood of, Jesus, of Christ. Our precious Savior invites us to join ourselves to Him, to unite our weakness to His strength, our ignorance to His wisdom, our unworthiness to His merits. Underlined part just below that, it rests with us to cooperate with the agencies which heaven employs in the work of conforming our characters to the divine model. None can neglect or defer this work, but at the most, 
fearful peril to their own, to their souls. So you and I are here at this time. Last paragraph down there at the bottom of that page, on to the next. Will the Lord forget his people during this trying hour? Did he forget faithful Noah when the judgments were visited upon the Antilivian world? Did he forget Lot when the fire came down from heaven to consume the cities of the plain? Did he forget Joseph surrounded by idolaters in Egypt? Did he forget Elijah when the oath of Jezebel threatened him with the fate of the prophets of Baal? Did he forget Jeremiah in the dark and dismal pit of his prison house? Did he forget the three worthies in the fiery furnace or Daniel in the den of lions? Do you think there's an answer to that question? All of those stories are there for us, reminding us that he will not forget us. Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that he should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I've graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49, the Lord of hosts has said, he that touchest toucheth you toucheth the able, I can't speak in that language right now in the old English, the apple of his eye. You are the apple of his eye. You are the apple of his eye. He will not let the devil touch you. But now is the time to learn to trust Him. Now is to be fully and completely surrendered to Him. Because in the return of Jesus is coming, that glorious cloud is going to come. Draws nearer, brighter, more glorious, becomes a white cloud with a rainbow above. Jesus rides forth. The resurrection of the righteous takes place. The return of Jesus involves the transformation of the righteous living. The saints are caught to Christ. The wicked are destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. Sad day on this earth. But it is Christ comes along and confers his followers the emblems of victory. Jesus opens the pearly gates of the holy city and the redeemed enter. Jesus is coming. And he's coming soon. And very, very soon. You want to dwell on that picture a little bit more? It's one of my favorite pictures of Nathan Green's. Hanging up there in the lobby of the ad, ad building, if you haven't seen it, go dwell on it and be not so much reminded of the artistry, but be reminded of the Christ at the center of this picture who's coming again, and he's coming again soon for you and me. Now is the time to prepare for this. It's the beginning of eternity. The time now is to prepare. We must Take seriously the time in which we live and the necessity to prepare. This is the time to be studying the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. It is time for communion with God and, and fervent prayer. It is time for cleansing from sin and victory over weakness because Jesus is there for us. It is time for complete surrender to God, which was, must be renewed every single day. It is time for a diligent work for Christ in our lives. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. One last thought, and then I have a question for you. This statement from Ellen White, Early Writings, page 67. It's in your material. It's the last page that you have. Ellen White says this, Heaven will be cheap enough. If we obtain it through suffering, we must deny self all along the way, deny to self daily, I'm sorry, die to self daily, let Jesus alone appear, and keep his glory continually in view. Heaven will be cheap enough. Now is the time to prepare. How many of you want to make a commitment and say, Jesus, I know is coming. I know that I need to be serious about my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to take this to prayer every morning. I need to take prayer every night. I need to study the Word of God. I need to be involved in sharing the truth even though it terrifies me to death, 
The Lord's going to help me to be a witness to my community, to my neighbors, to my co-workers. I need to take it all seriously because of my commitment to Jesus. How many of you want to say, I'm, I'm there with you, Pastor. I want to be there when Jesus comes. God bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this world is full of deceptions already, and they're getting worse. Satan is using all kinds of tools. Immorality is increasing in ways that we almost could not imagine, and yet it's here. We're seeing the signs around us being fulfilled rapidly, and we know the stage is set. But you're holding back the winds of strife so that we can finish our work and so that you can finish your work in us. O oh God of heaven, May not one person in this room be lost because of not taking seriously the need to prepare. May we all be ready when Jesus comes because of what Jesus does in our lives every day. As we leave this room today, we go with rejoicing in our hearts knowing that Jesus is coming and that you will stand by us until that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.